when many of us start out as copywriters, we're interested in the words. How do we organize them so that they sound right or so that they sound better? Which words should we use to communicate this benefit or this feature? Or which phrase will make the best call to action? But after a while, we tend to become less interested in the exact words, although they are still important and we still do get a lot of joy out of writing them. And we become more interested in the psychology behind the words. We start asking questions like, which emotions should my reader be feeling as they read this? What beliefs do I need to shift? What do they need to know or think or feel in order to take the next step? Hi, I'm Rob Marsh, one of the founders of the Copywriter Club. And on today's episode of the Copywriter Club podcast, my co-founder Kira Hug and I interviewed Chaba Borsazi, a copywriter with extensive training in applied psychology and plenty of experience helping shift beliefs and with writing emotional copy. Chaba shared how psychology applies to what we write every day. He also shared his process for diagnosing his clients' business problems that virtually guarantees that they're gonna ask for his help on a project. And by the way, this single bit of advice that he gives, this insight could be worth thousands of dollars in new work for you in the coming years. So you're definitely gonna to wanna to make a note of it. Finally, we talked about why his welcome sequence is nine months long. There's some good stuff in this episode, so get out your notepad and your pen because you are going to want to take some notes. Now, this is when I normally jump in to tell you all about the Copywriter Underground, the all the copywriting business trainings that are in there, the monthly coaching calls, the weekly copy critiques, the community. If you've been listening to the podcast for very long, you've heard me mention all of those things over and over, and yet you still haven't jumped in. Don't wait any longer. If you've got plans to grow your business in 2024, visit thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU and find out more about this vibrant community of copywriters who are working hard to do the same thing that you want to do. And now let's go to our interview with Chaba. All right. So Chaba, let's kick off with your story. How did you end up as a copywriter? Yeah, so great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, well, I was basically born and raised in uh, in the Transylvania region of Romania. So, but I'm not a vampire, I promise. But as an ethnic Hungarian, actually, so uh, it was a totally different culture compared to what you might consider uh, conducive to becoming a copywriter, uh, especially in English, especially on the U.S. market, right? So, um, basically, I like. I always liked liked to read. I was always a little kind of like a black sheep in my family because um, they don't even speak English, unfortunately. And um, uh, they were always telling me like, "Why are you learning English? Like, where are you going to use English?" Uh, and I was like, "No, no, no!" But but like, I can get better information this way. So I was I always loved getting information. Uh, and then during my studies, uh, I studied psychology um, first, business, then psychology. And then I landed a job at IBM, which was like the typical corporate job that, that everybody complains about. So I kind of, I, I think I've been there for more than a year, one and a half years or something. And then I felt like this isn't for me. Then I became a direct salesperson for a wealth management company, a supposedly prestigious wealth management company. Um, but turned out it was kind of a scam. Well, not necessarily a scam, but they were they were still ripping people off with, with stuff and there was lots of, lots of dodgy things going on. Uh, so then I had a friend who was already doing copywriting uh, on Upwork and he said, like, Chaba, you like psychology and I know that you like to read a lot. You like to, um, you like communication and persuasion and just studying it. So I think this could be a natural fit for you because you could combine marketing and business and psychology. And I was like, but aren't copywriters supposed to like do legal stuff? You know, <laughs> the typical thing that we that, that some people think. Uh, and then he kind of showed it to me, like how it works and how he's landing clients on Upwork. And I was like, well, that's pretty cool. So I gave myself two weeks to actually um, get as much info as possible on the topic and then uh, start landing a client. And I think after like three weeks, I had my first client, which was a sex shop. So <laughs> I really learned the concept of, of, uh, of writing desire building bullets for all sorts of weird thingies. And that's the story. <laughs> Where to go us a lot. There? Where yeah, to go? exactly. Lots of options here. So before we jump into like any of the history, um, there are a lot of people who want to be copywriters who do not 
start out speaking English. And America, Britain, Australia, they tend to be the biggest opportunities, the biggest markets for copywriting. So how did you bridge that gap? Obviously, you knew English before you started as a copywriter, uh, which certainly helps. But what advice would you give to copywriters who are not necessarily native English speakers so they can polish that language so that it doesn't show up you know, the, the way that it often does and, and puts them at a disadvantage? Sure, that's a great question. Well, obviously, the better you are at English, the, the better it is and the easier it is to land clients, especially nowadays when clients are, I think, used to Zoom calls or interviews or, or uh, you know, stuff like that. But um, ultimately, I think if you can convey that you're easy to work with, uh, you know what you're doing and you're just you, you can solve a problem for a client. Uh, they just give you money and you solve their problem uh, and you start small. You are kind of like you, you don't have a big ego. I think it doesn't necessarily matter that much, especially if you're uh, if you maybe bundle something else with just pure copywriting. Maybe you do uh, email list management or something. Maybe you do the button pushing part. Maybe you set up sequences. Maybe you uh, do A-B tests on, on, on landing pages or something like that. Uh, I think these things are relatively easy to learn um, and, uh, and can give you like a one-two punch when it comes to landing those clients and them seeing you as more than just a vendor. So you gave yourself two weeks to land your first client when you sat down. You're like, I'm going to be a copywriter. So what what were you doing during those two weeks specifically to then land that client? So uh, I mentioned that before this, I was working at a job uh, as like a, a salesperson for a wealth management company and their whole pipeline of commissions. I, I was working based on commission. Everything took like three to four to maybe even sometimes five months uh, so for, for me, landing an appointment and generating a sale for them, it took like five months for me to actually get paid. And when I got laid off from there, they didn't pay any commission. So I had lots of deals in the pipeline and it was just, that's it. Like, we're not going to pay you anything. And it was, uh, I don't know, like more than $10,000, which was a lot of money for me at this, that point, a lot of money. So I basically had like one month savings. And that's why I felt the, the natural urgency uh, to to do something like I cannot just mess around with this. I have to make it work. So for two days, I started Googling. I went to YouTube. I tried to consume every piece of, of, of free, sometimes even paid, like lower priced information that I could. Fortunately, I did, didn't land on like Dan Locke or, or, you know, someone like that who was selling copywriting at that time. But I landed, I, I found the Ben Sivenga bullets, for example. I found uh, uh, the Boron letters. I found some stuff from John Carlton. I found, uh, surprisingly enough, I found a Clayton Make Pieces blog. And obviously I realized that this is huge. Like I can't, I have to be, stay like, I have to focus on one thing there. Um, and then I think I already had a knack for selling because as I said, I was a direct salesperson before that. I was making like 50 cold calls per day, which I hated, but still, I mean, it gives you like a natural way to, persuade people. Um, and yeah, I think I was also fortunate enough a, a little bit because um, I that friend that I mentioned in the beginning, he also gave me some templates, like outreach templates and how to write your proposals. It still took some time and manual labor, but uh, yeah, two, two, three weeks and I was, you know, ready. And since we're talking about that, that first client, which was the sex shop, uh, tell us a little bit about that experience and what it takes to, uh, obviously, a, a sex shop has items for sale that are not necessarily boring, uh, but you may have to talk around some things in order to sell them. So tell us about that experience and how you made the products attractive and, and turned that into additional assignments down the line. As I said, I was uh, one of the first things I read was uh, Ben Sivenga bullets and the whole concept of bullets was new to me. So I started Googling, like, what are bullets? What are fascinations? And then I realized, oh, if you can write these desire building bullets, um, they're relatively useful everywhere, especially if you're writing product descriptions. So uh, what I did is that I, bought, I got a bunch of products that I was supposed to write copy for, but instead of just giving the same boring like description or something like that, like what most e-com uh, businesses do, I wrote a, um, uh, a little, like a three, four line 
overview, which was kind of like a unique selling proposition statement in a sense. And then I wrote bullets and I added like five bullets for each of them. Um, of course, nowadays, looking back, those bullets are pretty like they're not my best work ever, especially since they're they're like mega like they're, they're like <laughs> everything is 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 pushed up to the limit, right? Because I, I, and I think a lot of beginner copywriters think the same way. It's like, oh, bullets have to be this, this big, like amazing uh, whiz bang thing. And you have to sound like a bro and you have to big super huge uh, promises. Uh, but still they worked. So my client kept sending me more work. I kept, he kept paying me. And then I started landing more and more clients. I landed a, a watch brand. I helped him with the Kickstarter campaign. I landed some uh, self-development people. I landed the guy who, uh, who was selling photography services. So I started writing emails for him. Um, then I landed some VSLs for like a manifestation course. So all sorts of different products and niches and audiences. Uh, and it was really exciting because each time I felt like, wow, I have to learn something new. Like I have to really change what I feel and believe about the world in order to be able to write copy for, for this. So what, what year roughly was this time when you were getting started as a copywriter? Uh, it was 2017. Yes. Okay. 2017. And going back to what you shared about feeling like a black sheep, um, mm -hmm. I think you said in your family or a community, I wonder like if, if there's certain ways that has helped you build your copywriting business and your skill set as a copywriter? Can you pinpoint any ways that that has showed up in your career so far? Wow, that's a great question. Um, so I think growing up in rural Romania as an ethnic Hungarian, uh, being discriminated against, and, um, and my whole family, nobody, in my, even in my extended family, was ever a business person. They were all, well, basically peasants, but I mean this in a good way or like manual laborers, or my parents were engineers to be fair, but before them, like nobody even did intellectual type of work for anything. Um, and that culture was very, like obviously lots of things were imprinted on me that made it harder to become uh, a freelancer or to become a business owner later on. Because for example, and, you know, Romania was part of the Soviet Union and uh, there was this famous dictator called Nicolae Ceausescu in Romania. So um, he had a, a very brutal secret police and it wasn't like North Korea, but it was it was it was pretty bad. So my my, my parents, for example, they were socialized uh, so that, you know, you have to be average. You cannot stand out because that's dangerous. And that's what, that's the thing that they constantly kept telling me. It's like, don't try to stand out, be average, be gray. Um, don't try to be unique. Uh, don't try to be loud. Don't try to have like a voice or something. Just, just, you know, fit in, in somewhere and just be invisible, uh, which is great when it comes to 1970s Romania, but not so great in 2017 when you're trying to brand yourself or when you're trying to you know, do all the things that are needed to better sell something. So this was the negative part. But on the flip side, I learned lots of soft skills uh, that I think were definitely a competitive advantage later on. Things like uh, the value of hard work, things like, um, like, vulnerable, like uh, you know, being, being a, a good conscientious person in a sense. Uh, things like having humility. Things like being more, more patient than others. Things like willing to go, let's just call it under the client for a while in the beginning. Uh, and just, just deliver, you know, the best work I can, uh, always deliver on time. Even before I read the pro code from John Carlton, which is like, you should, uh, you know, do what you promised and deliver it on time and deliver, deliver it how you actually promised. Even before that, I instinctively had the urge to do this. And I think this was definitely a competitive advantage because my competition were other copywriters who were flaky and who never, who disappeared, who, and, and I also like, you know, I've been in a reverse role when I hired copywriters or some other people who helped me with something later on. 
and I, I, I realized like, wow, it's really hard to hire someone who's decent and good and just, just, you know, doesn't disappear. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. And I, I guess as a follow-up, how have you helped yourself stand out, which you've done? And if you check out your YouTube channel, you clearly stand out and how you market yourself, but to go from, you know, what you were talking about, what you shared about just blend in, be invisible and how you were raised to someone who is showing up in such a big way. Like what helped you move from A to B? Uh, to be honest, I had to do a lot of deep work on this. So it, these things were ingrained in my core personality. Uh, so, um, you know, I basically had to go to therapy to change some of these things. And uh, I, uh, I participated in lots of other um, self-development things like like group sessions and, and psychodrama and um, um, all sorts of other things which are considered therapy, but it's not like the typical type of therapy that you that, that most people think so that you go to a psychologist and you talk like body work or a birthing therapy or something like that. So I was always into self-development, to be fair, uh, but this definitely helped a lot. And also my uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, is a psychologist, is a therapist, and we could really talk a lot about these things. So I always had a, um, an affinity for psychology, but more like the applied psychology part, uh, applied cognitive psychology. That's where I learned. And she is more like the uh, therapist type of, like the integrative hypnotherapist type of person. So all these things, plus time, plus, uh, you know, just crawling through the muds and just getting there step by step, not trying to... Uh, take too many shortcuts because early on I realized that there are no shortcuts in reality. You do have to do the grunt work. You do have to face rejection. You do have to be scammed by some clients. Um, it's it's part of the game, I would say. And I think all these things ultimately made me stronger because I didn't give up. You mentioned the psychology behind it. You know, as I think about the resume that you shared, Java, you almost have like the perfect resume to become a copywriter. You studied business, you studied psychology, you had a job in sales, like all of the things that we do as copywriters, it seems like, you know, nature, the world, whatever was preparing you for that opportunity. We talk a little bit about, uh, in particular, the things that you studied in psychology, applied psychology, and how you use that today in your work as a copywriter. Yeah. So um, obviously there were lots of theoretical models that I studied, which 80, 90% of them, I don't really remember, but it still gave me lots of uh, belief shifts when it comes to how the world, including the human mind works. And I was always curious. One of, I, I would say one of my, my biggest goals in life is to get as close as possible to understanding how the world, including the human mind works. So I'm, I constantly learn, even nowadays, like I constantly, constantly love learning. And I think... Um, Eventually, if you keep at it, it just you, you naturally find analogies between things. You naturally discover connections between, oh, we, I, I learned that about like motivation, intrinsic motivation in, in, uh, during my university studies. And I see how if people realize that they, they are the ones who are making the decisions to buy something, they convert better compared to you trying to force it on them. Or if you want to do a crossroads close, for example, um, which is a technique I learned later on, um, in which you give people different options at the end of a sales letter, for example, um, it, 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 it made me realize like, oh, okay, so again, it's, it's tied to intrinsic motivation more. It's tied to that people feeling like they are in control and they are in power. Or another example would be, a sense of purpose, like if you tie your offer to making an impact in the world or trying to change the lives of someone uh, or some people, uh, it's much more powerful compared to not stimulating this, this deep sense of purpose in people. What else can we do to um, instill that feeling of the prospect making their own choice um, on a sales page or in our copy? What else have you done? specifically to help them feel that way and in control? There's a lot of things there. When it comes to the first part of like a campaign or a message, um, 
I think the belief shifting part is really important because everybody, especially nowadays, lots of audiences have a really high uh, stage of market sophistication, which means they've been exposed to lots of offers before, lots of marketing, and they've probably failed many times before. And this is especially true in like uh, the weight loss, weight loss niche or the biz up space where, you know, people get sold a dream, but they fail constantly. So uh, there's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of shame and negative emotions tied to that. So if you can shift those beliefs and um, like Dan Kennedy has this thing called the, the sequence of nine agreements, which is basically sub beliefs that you have to stimulate. It's like, um, you know, how is this applicable to me? Uh, is this personally attain? Is this attainable in the first place? Uh, can I actually do it? Uh, you know, it's not your fault. And uh, why is it like a timely manner to do something about this right now? If you can shift those things and you get to the one buying belief, which is a concept that uh, Mark Ford, I think, was the first one to, uh, to, to talk about. And then Todd Brown and people like that. Um, they will really feel like, yes, now I understand why uh, Chaba's solution is different and superior compared to anything I've, I've seen before. And it's the key to my number one desire. And then they will feel empowered. They will, they will feel like there's no other option. And I realize why I have to do this. It's not like he's pushing it on me. He's just giving, he's just extending an invitation my way to join him in a program, for example. So obviously it's way harder to do in practice than this, but I would say this is something that's, that's really important in my opinion, when it comes to giving people more power. In this, and that's also why I think um, that super high, aggressive, pushy marketing is starting to work less and less nowadays because people are just so sick of it, and there's so many fakeness out there, especially now in the age of AI, especially now in 2024. <laughs> I think there's going to be some really high level and high profile deep fakes this year, especially around the election, maybe even. So people want that authenticity, that human touch more and more. And uh, if you can do that, I think you have a competitive advantage. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Let's go back to your your job journey or your career journey. You had a bunch of clients. How have you gone from you know experimenting with a bunch of clients to what you're doing today? Mm-hmm. So I think I've worked with like more than 70 clients uh, over a course of like five, six years all sorts of people in all sorts of niches. For a while, I specialized in launch copy for uh, people who were launching courses. Uh, and then I had, I landed I landed a YouTuber client with like a huge following. He had like 2 million subscribers. And uh, we actually partnered on a course once. Uh, and then I realized, so I was basically the one writing all the copy, sorry, and creating the, um, the um, promotions for it. I even wrote, created a webinar everything. Uh, and it didn't really perform that super well because later on I realized that we were selling to lots of freebie seekers and everything was angled towards like super beginners, but still it was pretty cool. And that's when I realized, um, writing for clients is good, but as Gary Halbert had like a famous hat, all clients suck. And eventually you get, you get tired of writing. I think when you write really high convert, like impactful copy, you have to sacrifice a part of your soul. Uh, and it's really like you're trying to manifest a new life in the world and you have to sacrifice something for that. Um, and it takes a lot of, you know, out of you if you really get into it and come up with the big idea and everything. So to me, it feels like it's my baby, like when it comes to a big promotion. So I, I started feeling like, what if I started doing this for myself? And that's when I started, I think it was 2000. 20, maybe when I started my email list and then I started experimenting with my own products and I had some mixed results um, because then I realized, well, well, problem is I have to learn more things about business. I have to learn things about like business strategy and traffic and building stuff, which is in a sense way more comprehensive than just being a copywriter and handing people a Google doc. And here you go. Uh, but still, I think it's uh, it's a it's a it's a different journey. It's a it's an integral part of a lots of copywriters' life, I would say. And I, I have lots of copywriter friends who 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 go through the same journey, eventually. 
what does it look like today? So is it is it solely focused on your own products or is it a combination of like working with clients here and there and then your products? Does it change from quarter to quarter? Uh, it's it's mostly a combination. So primarily it's focused on um, around my email list. So I really, I, I kind of have like the Ben Settle model in a sense. So I it's an info publishing business and I have my own products, uh, which is, Either it either serves copywriters or business owners. These are the two big segments, business, smaller business owners, coaches, consultants, experts who sell some sort of transformational uh, information product. Um, but, uh, but I also work with clients, just not in a done for you way. So I, I consult with clients. I do done with you uh, or I coach others like copywriters or, you know, people, different people. Uh, so I would say it's a hybrid and it's evolving, of course, all the time. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, that's how it is. Could you talk a little bit more about the consulting and the done with you? Um, maybe less about the copy coaching, just because we've covered that on the show, but, you know, especially for writers who are ready to make a shift in their business and stop, uh, doing done for you copy, how can they approach consulting and think about it and sell it? Yeah, sure. So, um, I think like if you want to do done for you, that's, that's very lucrative. But again, after a while you get capped, like how, how many projects you can take on and you get burned out. You can easily burn out. Um, but how, what I like to do is uh, I have something called a, a rapid lead activation assessment, which is uh, it's basically a 20 minute get to know each other call in a sense, but it has a deliverable. And the deliverable is that, hey, I ask you a bunch of questions and I'm going to diagnose your business. We're going to discover the biggest potential leaks that you have and how to potentially fix them. And if it makes sense for us to, and if I can actually help you, like it doesn't even have to make sense for us to work together, but if I can help you, then we'll schedule another call, a one hour call, which is a game plan call. Uh, and this is basically, I, I just I just strategize some things for them. There's like something called the rapid lead activation scorecard, which I go through, uh, I go with them uh, through the scorecard. It, it, it has like nine different, um, dimensions based on how well their business is doing in like the first 30 days of their welcome sequence, their email nurture, their landing pages, their lead generation, stuff like that. And based on that, I put together a, a, a customized uh, game plan for them. And at the end of that, uh, it's a very natural transition to an offer, which is like, hey, would you like me to help you uh, implement this? And uh, most people usually say yes, because uh, like nobody else does something like, I mean, not nobody, but not many people do something like this. A lot of people want to like high ticket, close them aggressively. Uh, but this is like more hands off. This is like, hey, I genuinely want to give you uh, value. And I actually got testimonials, like video testimonials from people, which are basically sales calls technically. Because they gone, they've, they've gotten so much value out of it. So that's how I structure it. And then currently, I, I, I engage in one-on-one -on -one work with them. So it's like, hey, for three or six months, let's work together. Uh, this is how the program looks like. And it's mostly customizable because based on what I diagnose for them, um, I can put together a modular thing for their situation specifically. Um, but I'm, I'm also like working in a sense on like a higher end group program as well, because, uh, again, it's, 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 a it's a flawed business model in the sense that you have to cap the number of clients you can realistically work with. Yeah. I, I, I actually, I want to go deeper into your scorecard. I'd love to see, you know, or, or, you know, even like watch one of those calls because I want to see what are the, the things that you're diagnosing people doing and you know, how that works. So I'm curious, like, as you go through that process, like what's the biggest challenge for you in either, uh, either like a, reaching out to more clients or on those calls with those clients so that it turns into, you know, work in some fashion. Mm -hmm. um, so to be fair, 99% of these people are inbound leads because um, what I do is that I try to get everybody on my email list and then there's lots of conversational uh, invites 
to these types of things. So I, I like to do something similar to what Dean Jackson does with the dime word emails and with like PSs and sometimes like some people call this, uh, I think Kevin Rogers calls it the wanted poster, which is like, hey, um, next month I'm looking to work with three more people who want to get this primary promise. Here's what I'm looking for. If that's you, hit reply and let me know. And then I qualify them later on. So uh, I ask a bunch of questions because of course, especially when it, com- when it comes to creating copywriting specific content, obviously you're gonna get lots of newbies and wannabe copywriters who are very eager to reply to everything, but uh, they obviously don't meet the criteria for this. So I, I, I speci- specify that you have to have a validated offer. You have to have at least 700 people on your email list. You have to uh, have some sort of revenue already. You have to be willing to uh, start a conversation and continue a conversation. And you have to be willing to start now if it makes sense. So uh, if they qualify, that's when we get on the first call and then the second call. And the conversion rate on these calls is really, really high because... um, like they really have to qualify before they get on this. And I think it also shifts the whole frame of the conversation. It's not like, oh, dear client, I'm trying to close you here. But instead of like, they're grateful because they can get 20 minutes of my time to focus on their specific business. And then one hour of my time as well. So one and a half hours of time. So uh, the challenges with this are like um, the number of people. So obviously this way you're, you're disqualifying lots of people who you might be able to close later on. But my philosophy is that less but higher quality because those clients will give you less headaches and they're going to implement way more. So that's definitely something I'm looking for. And even not, even this way, it's, it's super hard to actually get them to implement everything. Yeah, no doubt. Maybe a, a, a follow-up question or a better question would be, what are you doing to grow your list so you're getting the right people so that when you make those offers... You know, it's it's hitting them in the right place. So that's that has been a big uh, challenge for me for a while because I've always considered myself a conversion guy. My whole brand is called Gain of Conversions, um, and I was like the guy that does stuff after people after you have the leads. Uh, but I had to learn that you know traffic is also super important. So right now I'm experimenting with multiple things. Obviously, I have the content library on YouTube and on my blog, which is relatively evergreen, very evergreen, I would say. But it attracts mostly copywriters. Um, so that's why I recently wrote a book, The Rapid Lead Activator, which is basically a short practical book aimed at business owners who want to. Uh, create like a kick-ass follow-up campaign to new email subscribers. And it's specifically details like how to build know, like, and trust, how to identify the so-called five-star prospects without burning out others, how to maximize the chances of them converting later on. So it's not about like buy now, but instead persuading them. Um, And one of the strategies I'm doing right now is uh, JV partnerships with people. So I'm, uh, I'm looking at others who have similar lists and we either do a freebie swap or we, are, we do some sort of JV engagement. Uh, well, obviously podcasts like this also help. Um, I'm also doing ads now, Facebook ads, uh, very low touch. So it's not like I don't wanna uh, act as like a media buyer, um, but it's kind of like a fire and forget type of like $20 per day ad. Um, and, uh, and I also plan on, on doing more content, more email specific content, uh, too, because I, I, I still think that content is the best traffic source. So if I want to become a better consultant or just get into consulting to begin with, you shared a little bit about your process. Um, but it sounds like the structure is diagnosing, giving them a scorecard, identifying the problem. They pay for that. Then you sell them on, okay, I can solve this problem with you. And then is that a six month container? And how can you give us more information as far as like, is it meeting twice a month and you're giving them the next homework assignment? I know some of this you're customizing. And also I'm just wondering about pricing, rough pricing too. Mm -hmm. So to be clear, uh, the, the first call and the second call are free. Um, the price for them is to actually qualify for it. Um, so they, they don't have to pay anything at all. 
what happens after it? What happens after it? It's, it's really, really unique for each person so far. And it's constantly evolving. Uh, for a while, I did three-month engagements. Um, and it was like a series of 12 calls, so one call per week. Uh, and there's something I call the uh, implementation cycle, which is kind of like a, uh, a built-in accountability mechanism that I, that I was doing for them. Uh, but basically, we met on calls weekly, they gained assignments. If I felt like they need access to some of my courses or certain modules in my courses, I, <clears throat> they also got access to that without overwhelming them with other stuff. So it's kind of like a hybrid type of, 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 of thing. But what I realized is that um, n- not that many people actually do everything in just three months. Three months is not a lot of time for, for business owners, uh, especially when sometimes we're talking about a total makeover. So when it comes to the scorecard, Rob was asking about the scorecard. One of the things that I ask about is like the target market, like how confident you are that you are targeting the exact, you have a deep understanding uh, of your market, including their deepest pains, fears, hopes, and dreams. That's like a 12 on this scale. A one would be you cater to everyone. It's like, oh, my target market is is males and females aged 18 to 65. Thank you. So that's that's not a market. Then we talk like the, the other one is like your core offers, your messaging, your lead flow, your lead activation, your short-term sales process, long-term sales process. So I think if we go through this process together on the second call, the one-hour call, and I always also show them visually, people are so blown away by it. And they get the the the, the, uh, the game plan right there. My job after that is to is to just help them implement it, and 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 say, hey, go look at this training or this module, and here are some potential swipes that you can use, and uh, and 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 try it. And then next week we look at it, and it's and, and we and we propose ways on improving it. For example, so all in all, long story short. For a while, I was doing three months, but now I'm experimenting with six months. Uh, and then we meet two times a month because I, I discovered that many times people need at least two weeks to actually do that and implement. That makes sense. And as a quick follow-up, what are you charging for, for that engagement? Uh, that's also very malleable. So I try to charge based on value. Uh, and one of the qualifying questions I ask before the first call even is how many people you have on your email list and, uh, like what stage of growth are you in with this company? Is it like under 50 K under hundred K under 500 K under million, more than a million. And based on that, there is some slight variation and, I'm also thinking of doing like more risk reversal type offers where where it's like you only pay this much, but then there's a bonus component and like all sorts of other things. So it's malleable. But I would say in general, it's between like $5,000 to $10,000. You mentioned, uh, Kasaba, that content is the best traffic source. I love that idea. I, I think you're 100% right. Besides your email list, where are you producing content that starts to generate traffic for your business? Unfortunately, right now I'm not. So uh, I, my email list, like if I were, I actually have some sequences which are half a year long, uh, sending out emails two or three times per week. Um, so I really need to start repurposing this on my blog. And I also start to repurpose my long form videos on YouTube into shorter videos. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of my weaknesses. I, it's, it's still hard for me to properly delegate. That's the problem. And this also comes from my upbringing, which is like, nobody ever delegates anything because like, who does that in that culture? Um, so I, you know, I've made some progress. There was a time during which I hired an SEO agency, for example, uh, or like people help me with my videos, editing it and, and stuff like that. But I need someone, something more, more, uh, specific for that. But I would say YouTube is my primary source still. My, the, the cool thing about my content is that it's evergreen. And that's definitely a tip I would give to copywriters or people who want to start being authority building content is don't, I know that the current you know, fads are super exciting, but do something evergreen. And you can't really get more evergreen than um, you know, reverse breaking down copy from the old school titans of direct response copywriting. So who is on your team right now? Is it just you right now on your team? 
As like uh, salaried people, yes, I do have a few freelancers that I work with from time to time. Uh, but but my, my philosophy is try to automate as many things as possible and creating systems uh, that actually cut back a lot of time that I would have to spend on that. But it, this is something that I definitely have to work more more on. Yeah. So what else? You know, at this stage that you're at now, where you have consulting offers. You've built a, a good reputation. You have your own products. Like what, what else are you struggling with now? And what is, what does the next level look like for you? What are you working towards? And, and what are you struggling with beyond a little bit of what you shared around just needing more support? So, um, so as I said, I want to launch more like a higher ticket group thing, because I think I can deliver much more value that way to more people. Uh, and it's a better deal, deal for everyone. Uh, but I, I, my, my mental limitation in this is that, oh yeah, but what if I launch it first and then, you know, I get three people and then there's a lot of work that goes into properly delivering stuff for that. So that's something that eventually I have to uh, break through anyways. Uh, the other thing is this, uh, this delegation part. So I'm sometimes... I often feel like I can do everything myself and I enjoy it. Like I really enjoy building out stuff and geeking on like advanced email automations and stuff like that. Although it might not be the best use of my time, to be honest, from in, in, in pure like business growth perspective. Uh, but I do enjoy it. So it's, it's, it's something cool for me. And the other third big thing is that I recently became a father. So I have an eight year old daughter and, um, she was born in May, so uh, at the end of May in 2023, and that has been quite the challenge to properly switch between all these roles of like a father, a husband, someone who tries to grow a business, copywriter, someone who's genuinely, genuinely curious about the world, and I want to understand what are things that are happening in the world in terms of like geopolitics and everything. As an introvert, that's also difficult because there's always like sounds everywhere and, uh, and you know, obviously the baby is crying many times and, and just, just... These are so loud. They're so loud. We forget all these roles that we, you know, embody and it's just a lot. And so how, how do you, how are you adapting to all these new hats that you're wearing? Yeah, I mean it's it's it is difficult. Uh, I'm just have to say it up front. Uh, I'm still. I started implementing uh, deep work sessions. Uh, so before that, life was easy because my wife went away uh, during the day. I had eight ten hours of uninterrupted time to work. I was working from home. I still am, but in a different like area. So it's a it's a relatively well isolated area. So I don't really hear like noises during now, but. Even if I just go out, you know, in the kitchen or to the, the bathroom or something, and I still have my thoughts with me, my deep thoughts, but it's like, oh, could you please pick her, pick up Helena, my daughter, or just change the diaper or something, uh, which I then obviously want to help, but it totally uh, gets me out of that flow state. So all these little, could you help me for one minute type of things, which again, I understand because my wife is, is, is you know, doing a lot of work uh, during the day. Um so this is definitely difficult. One thing that I am doing that helps is uh, I'm spending more time trying to actively rest before I get burned out. So especially after learning, uh, write, uh, reading a few books from Dan Sullivan, especially 10x is easier than 2x. It really shifted my, my thoughts about this. Uh, and I realized that you have to preemptively rest both mentally or at least try to mentally, physically, and emotionally, because otherwise when the time comes that you feel that now I have to rest, it's too late. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is I implemented, um, almost uninterruptible times throughout the day. Uh, usually it's between like 10 AM to 12. Uh, so it's like noon in which I do Pomodoros, like three Pomodoros and, uh, Nobody can interrupt me. That's the time in which I write my emails or do some really high, high impact stuff. And uh, that's the other thing. The third thing is um, just, just, just adapting. I would say time is, is time heals everything. Um, 
And also, weirdly enough, it made me more productive overall because now I know, I feel like, okay, I only have this much time to, to get things done and, 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 and I have to do it. And also I joined like a, uh, a higher level uh, coaching program myself, uh, which really helps a lot because there's lots of accountability there and we're working in six week sprints in six week projects. And there's a very specific thing that I'm working on every six weeks when it comes to like the traffic part or the conversion part or the offer part. And uh, I don't have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out, trying to strategize what to do next. My coach basically does that for me. And that's really helpful. Yeah. Having a mentor is, is a game changer for sure. Um, before we finish up, I want to make sure we talk about your book. Uh, and I also want to mention you met, you said that you have the, this uh, lead magnet sequence that's a year long. I got on your, I went through my inbox and just was like looking at it. So I got on your list, uh, maybe it was a year and a half or so ago, a little, little less than that. And I was just counting up the number of emails in that sequence. It took, I think from, from January to July to get through the 50 sales page reviews. And then there's some other ones I think you've added since then. It's, it's like a nine month sequence, which, uh, I think a lot of people, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of nuts in some ways, but <laughs> nuts in a good way. Yeah. No, I mean, it's nuts in a good way. Uh, what do you see the results, uh, you know, as people make it through that sequence, how many people drop off early on? How many people make it through? Like I did, you know, where I see, at least I think I made it through, uh, like I see the end. And then I want to ask you about your book. Sure. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I, I should do a better job tracking stuff, but I just opened up my convert kit and, uh, and I'm gonna check out, you know, open rates and stuff like that for for the sequence. Uh, honestly, I, I don't know, but I'm gonna know in a sense. So in the beginning, I would say average open rates are like 50%, 50, 40-ish, something like that. And click-through rates are around five to six, maybe seven. At around the halfway mark, so this is after like three months, and they are getting two emails per week in this sequence. I also send them other emails, but this is just a specific extra sequence. So after that, I see that things stabilize at around 33, 35% open rates and about 1.5% click-through rate, 1.52% click-through rate. Okay, so from above average to average. Um, yeah, something like that, something and, like that. And if I'm not mistaken, it's is it 80 uh, issues long? Is that the, um, well, it's not finished exactly. So there are like 55 plus like eight more after it, but you know, it's only like until 55, you have one issue for every single one. After that, there are some, some, uh, pauses in them. So between like 55 and 67, there's nothing. Um, and the reason why is because I originally wrote these emails in real time when I was doing, it was part of my ritual when I was doing the 100 day proven sales letter breakdown challenge. So I just repackaged these emails into this sequence. Anybody who wants to understand what we're talking about needs to get on your list and, and sign up for it, which we'll link to in the show notes. But yeah, go ahead and, and finish what you were saying. So I just wanted to say that uh, there were some days originally when I did the, 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 the challenge uh, in which I didn't have time to actually write an email about it to promote the, the videos themselves. I still did the videos and uploaded them on YouTube, uh, but I never really filled those email like, like those missing emails uh, in even even since then. I know I should, but you know it's. I, I think if somebody watches or, or reads like fifty-ish emails from me in this sequence alone. They, they, they might not gonna mind missing five emails later on or something. And it's everything there on YouTube anyway. So these are just basically like call to actions to, hey, go and watch the video. My only other question is I just wanna mention the book uh, because you, know, you generously shared it with, uh, I think with your list, or at least you shared it with me. Uh, and as I was going through it, I had a couple of ideas, things I wanted to change on my welcome sequence. So, you know, tell us a little bit about why you wrote the Rapid Lead Activator book. And, and you kind of already talked about what was in it, but tell us just sort of the why behind it and, and how you're using it in your business. Sure. So I wanted a new lead magnet, which is aimed more, more at business owners and which is super evergreen. I'm a big fan of the principal fundamentals and evergreen stuff. And uh, I, uh, early on, when working with clients, I realized that... Uh, 
many of them didn't really have properly optimized welcome sequences, which is like, it's the first sequence you should uh, create. And I think a lot of copywriters have the curse of knowledge when it comes to this, because they feel like, oh, everybody should have that, right? But surprise, surprise, a lot of businesses don't really have this, or they created something five years ago, but they never really updated it. And it's, it doesn't have proper offers. And it's just like, a lot of people look at it like, oh, I'm going to send them four content emails and one sales email. And that's it. And if nobody buys, but in reality, it doesn't work like that. So there's a lot of other stuff that you can optimize. And the whole book is about this. It's like, how can you imprint someone onto yourself uh, as if you are a little duckling? And the first thing you see is uh, the mama duck and you kind of start following them uh, cutely in the water. That's what I wanted to do with this, this book. And actually, I, I created a course before the book. It's called the, impr- the, the Profitable Imprinting Sequence, which is like the first five, 10 emails. And it's like a more comprehensive thing. And this is originally based on an idea that I got from reading something from Gary Halbert, like imprinting people onto you, which again shows that there, there aren't that many new things under the sun. People, even modern day gurus, they're just rehashing and they're just repackaging old school stuff. Um, sometimes they dumb it down because like, uh, they have to, but, but it's a, it's a good example of like why it's still worth studying the old school masters. So when it comes to the book, I wanted to design it from the, from the onset as like a lead generation book. So it's not like 300 pages long, it's 80 ish and there's big types. Uh, so you can read it in one hour. Um, and I wanted to optimize for action for people actually consuming it and to give them the biggest chance of actually implementing it and them seeing results because then they realize that, oh, okay, if I got so much value from this Chaba's stuff, then it might be worth, uh, answering his call to action and scheduling an assessment call with him and the call to action at the end of the book which is ultimately like a education-based long-form sales letter, Gary Ben Savanga style. Uh, but it's, it's really powerful because if people consume it, they're pre-framed, their belief charts are shifted, they're going to show up on calls, they're not going to ghost after that. And uh, I think this, this, is, this is more powerful than just trying to convert them in like a sophisticated, high-pressure funnel. So if we want access to that, we'll... We drop a link in the show notes. Do we have a link to share with listeners? So just go to gameofconversions.com slash rapid lead activator, rapid dash lead dash activator. So it's a game of thrones, but gameofconversions.com rapid lead activator. And again, it's a highly, highly practical book. Give you an elegant new way to get better clients faster and uh, just start, you know, building more no like and trust with them. And the cool thing about it is that I really like, I'm eating my own dog food with this book because I also included my own welcome emails in the book. It's like, Hey, this is how I'm doing it. And check out email number one. And this is what's happening here. And here's the example. So people actually have uh, an opportunity to read my welcome flow in the book or in the emails themselves. There are two ways there, which is a little bit kind of like a parallel welcome sequence that, you know, Daniel Trussell uses, for example. And there's also some uh, copy-paste templates as well. Awesome. All right. Well, my last question for you is, uh, you know, with your black sheep perspective, I love your opinion on the future of copywriting for us all as copywriters. Like, what does it look like to you? Are you optimistic about the future? How do you feel about what's possible for all of us as writers over the next, not decade, let's not go that far out, over the next three to three years? I love the question. It's, but it, it, it's so, it has so many layers and I want to keep it short. So obviously the big elephant in the room here is AI, like how, what happens with AI, because it's almost impossible to to figure out what's going what's gonna to happen in five years, especially when it comes to generative AI. Um, primarily, I think that copywriters who, who, who can use AI to boost their productivity, to uh, generate better ideas quicker, and just uh, use it as kind of like a, um, an assistant, like an employee, in a sense, they're going to see more success. 
uh, people who don't engage with AI at all and they're not willing to learn copy really well, they're just out of the game. I, I, I think they could take it. There are other make money uh, opportunities, but I don't really like to look at copywriting as a biz op. A lot of people, especially people who subscribe to my list, they, they feel like, oh, I want to you know, make so much money with copywriting. But it's like, slow down there, buddy, because it doesn't work like that. It's, it's like you can't expect to become a good doctor in two weeks. It takes years. And the same thing with copywriting. So um, I think what's definitely going to be very, uh, very important is to, is to know what's good copy and what's not good copy and how to uh, architect a campaign. And for that, you still have to put in the work and you still have to go through the courses or the coaching programs or the books. You still have to study Eugene Schwartz. You still have to read Breakthrough Advertising. You have to understand this because without that, what do you have? You have some uh, prompts and that's it. And you're going to sound just like every other agency or every other robotic copy out there. Um, but an interesting trend that I started noticing is that there's already a lot of backlash against AI. And Ben Settle, for example, Daniel Frassel, Russell Aquin, these people who, are, who have email-based businesses, um, they, they, they kind of, they're forming like the, la resistance when it comes to AI, um, which I also see a lot of opportunity in because uh, as with everything else technological, especially when the world is very chaotic and where like there are so many potential dangerous things happening in 2024, what happens in these times, in, 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 in problematic times? People uh, choose a side. They're going to be like, I'm either progressive or I'm either anti-AI. Uh, it's like with religion, right? The most uh, hardcore, the most... Uh, uh, hardcore beliefs in religions happen when there are lots of wars, there are lots of potential problems in the world. And I think there's going to be a huge population, a huge segment of the population who by principle are going to hate things generated by AI. And they're going to say like, I want a copywriter who doesn't use AI. I want human centric only. So I think there's going to be multiple niches when it comes to this. Obviously, the biggest thing is going to be the ability to adapt. If you can adapt to whatever happens and you keep an open mind and you try to improve by 1% every week, you're still going to have a competitive advantage over everybody else. So that's, that's my advice. I feel like that last answer opened up. A, we could have go for another hour talking about and unpacking that answer, but we won't, we won't do that to you. I know. Yeah, yeah, probably have to go. That was a great response. I just have like now a hundred questions I want to ask you about that. Well, there's a lot sometime. A lot going on with AI. Yeah, we'll have you, yeah. we'll have you come back and we can we can talk about uh, how people are yeah. using it effectively in their business. Thank you, Chava, for sharing so much about your business. We appreciate it. Thank you. It was my pleasure. That's the end of this interview. Now, I usually like to mention two or three things from the interview that really stuck out to me, and I'm not going to make an exception today. First, what Chaba shared about psychology is really important. As a copywriter, you need to do more than write words. You need to understand the mindset of the people that you're writing to. Obviously, this takes a lot of research. You need to understand what motivates them and what spurs them to action. You need to understand the dominant emotions that your product and your copy makes them feel or the dominant emotions that they feel before reading and how you're going to shift their buying beliefs. This goes way beyond persuasion tactics like urgency or consistency that most of the so-called experts talk about. Yes, those things are important, but really understanding your reader takes a lot more than that. We have some resources to help you get started with that in the Copywriting Mastery Program, as well as in the Copywriter Underground when you're ready for them. But applied psychology is truly a game changer when it comes to writing compelling copy that converts. So don't ignore this part of your business. Second, Chaba mentioned a few resources that he found as he started out as a copywriter, things like the Bensavenga Bullets and the Boron Letters. We've linked to a lot of these resources on a page on our website. It's actually the most popular page on the Copywriter Club website. We have more visitors to this page than any other. You can find it if you Google the Copywriter Club and then Ultimate Resources, or you can just visit thecopywriterclub.com and click on the resources link in the menu. Many of those resources are free and they'll get you started thinking about many of the ideas that Chaba shared today. And finally, Chaba talked about his scorecard. 
this is something that very few copywriters do is obviously we talked about this with Java at, during the interview. Yes, we do have questions that we ask on prospecting calls, but we rarely share the completed scorecard or the diagnostic with our clients. And you should, it's a game changer. It does a couple of things for you as a copywriter, as a professional, as a freelancer, as a consultant. It demonstrates that you know exactly what you're doing because not only are you asking questions, but you're using the answers to dial in on a solution. Clients don't need to wonder how you came to your conclusions. It's all spelled out on that scorecard that you're going to share with them. And that leads to an easier sales call close if your solution lines up with the problems that you've identified, especially if your diagnosis goes deep, rather than proposing, say, homepage copy or an email sequence, your proposal should talk about the larger business problems that these deliverables help fix. This is what takes you beyond that beginner copywriter stage and demonstrates that you are a true professional and you know what you're doing. Okay, well, I think that's enough for me today. Thanks to Chaba for joining us to chat about his business, about psychology and more. You can find his Game of Conversions channel on YouTube where he shares breakdowns of nearly a hundred different proven sales letters. And you can get his copywriting cheat sheet at gameofconversions.com forward slash copywriting dash secrets which should get you on his email list. Chaba also shared the link as we were talking to get his book. Um, so make sure that you, uh, you know, rewind if you need to get that link again. But be warned, Chaba's welcome sequence is long. It really does run almost nine months, uh, but it's worth being there. And his book is excellent as he shares the five different emails in his sequence that he uses to land clients. And while you're checking that out, you should also check out the Copywriter Underground. Go to thecopywriterclub.com forward slash TCU to join the best community for copywriters who want to improve their business and writing skills. The resources there are truly a great value. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. The intro music was composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. The outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please visit Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to the show to leave your review. It really does help us to hear what you think, to get that feedback, and it does help other people to find the show. Don't miss our other podcast at AIforcreativeentrepreneurs.com. You can also watch that on YouTube or listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better, copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club yeah, can make you lots of money. Listen to the Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club can make you lots of money as long as you listen through the whole damn episode.